Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you guys. Hopefully uh, you have had your fair share of the holidays and you have kissed 2020 goodbye and maybe even good riddance depending on how it was for you. Uh, but for those of you who are joining us online, thank you for taking some time to join in and worship with us. Hey, we would love to have a chance to connect with you. We even have a gift for you kind of for doing that today. Our way of saying welcome in, welcome home, even if it's an online uh, church family, we still believe it's family. So thank you for being here with us today. You can fill out that link there. And if you're in person, you see that little QR code on, in, in front of your chair, you can fill that out if it's your first time here with us as well. Take those steps, follow those, and we'll meet you back there in the back today. We are starting a brand new series called, What Happens One Minute After You Die? Now, I know we were going like, hey, why in the world are we starting off our new year talking about death? Like, that's been 2020. Like, it's a year from, you know, where? And like, we want to move on and we want to go to better places. And could we not start the new year with this series on joy or, or, or positive feelings? Or are there not any Bible verses about how to lose 15 pounds and get my kids to be respectful and how to find a man? Like, where are those Bible verses? Can we start out there? I'd rather do that at this new year. But here's what I felt God lay on my heart, and it's what I think that all of us, regardless if you're necessarily a follower of Jesus sold out, or if you're kind of coming in at this, trying to explore who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing, as we start new years, we come to this place where we begin to reflect, and we think about our life, and people make new year's resolutions, and we think about these things that will make our lives look differently. And make our lives look better than maybe they were that year before. And we want to be committed to certain things. And we want to lose certain things. And we want to gain certain things and figure certain things out. But this year, as we enter into what is 2020, I wanted to talk about this. Because I believe this truth with everything in me. And I believe it has potential to change your life and base off of what you believe for now and for the future. And it's this. What you believe about the afterlife determines how you live your life. What you believe about what happens when you die determines how you live. And so for some of you here in this room, you believe there's an afterlife in a place called heaven or a place called hell. And so that should be determining how you live. And for some of you, maybe you have friends or you're that person and you believe that, hey, there is no such thing as the afterlife. The afterlife is me and the ground is worm dirt. And that's just kind of where it ends. See, what you believe about the afterlife determines how you live your life. If you believe that this life that we have here on earth is all there is, well, then I'm going to try to make as much money as possible. I'm going to try to have as much sex as possible. I'm going to try to get as much power as possible because I will only experience pleasure in this life, and then after this life is over, well, it's over. So live it up. Eat, drink, be merry. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. Let's go for it. But if we believe that there's an afterlife, then maybe that means we live differently. And if we believe, like most people do, this is what's fascinating as I studied this and did some research on this, you know, that most people, if you ask them, they will believe and they will say that they do believe that there is an afterlife. And many more people will say that in that afterlife, they believe that there is a good afterlife. There is a heavenly or nirvana or a eternal reward or a whatever you want to call it. There is a good afterlife, a heavenly afterlife. But the same amount of people will disregard the fact that there could possibly be something that is not so sunshine and rainbow. And what is fascinating about this is more and more people in our society believe that there is heaven, but less and less people believe that there is God, which is peculiar. And so this week, 
we're going to dive into specifically that question around what happens after I die. But in this whole series, that's going to be what we're diving into. Because I believe that there is no better way to start out this year by determining, okay, what do I really believe about what happens when I die? What do I really believe about the afterlife? Because, guys, I'm telling you, that determines how we live our life right now in these moments. The place where we're going to start, if you've got a Bible, great. If you don't have one, it's going to be on the screens. Or if you're watching online, it's going to be you know, around my belly button area. Um, we're going to do it there. Um, is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. We're going to walk through this a little slow. We're going to unpack this. This is where the Apostle Paul is writing to one of his churches that he started. He's trying to help them understand what the reality of the life they have going on right now and the life that is to come is really all about. So this is what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in, he's not talking about house, he's not talking about you know, being a doomsday prepper and having a tent on hand, he's talking about when he says tent, he's talking about our bodies, our life. He says that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed... We have a building from God. He's talking about we have a place from God. We have a, a resting place from God at the eternal house in heaven. So we have this thing that's living on, that is going beyond our body, not built by human hands. He says, meanwhile, and that's what's going on, meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Now, what he's talking about there is not just the groan you feel when you get out of bed in the morning, like, did, I, did somebody put me in an ankle lock? Last night, like, why is my ankle sprained? I didn't sprain my ankle yesterday. I woke up this morning, and I can't walk. Like, what's going on? Are you waking up in the morning? Like, did somebody karate chop me in the back? Like, you just wake up, and you're like, my body is just messed up. We have groanings. But he's not just talking about your own personal groanings. He's talking about the groans that we see when we turn on whatever news source it is, and we see horrible thing after horrible thing after horrible thing, and we just go, and we pound our fists on the table and go, it's not supposed to be this way. That's the collective groan of society going, this world is broken, this world is messed up, people shouldn't do that to people. That's the groan. Longing to be clothed instead with a heavenly dwelling. It's that reality that we know there's just something within us. Believe in Jesus, don't believe in Jesus. There's something within every single one of us who goes, man, I don't think it's supposed to be like this. And is there a place where things like this, pain, brokenness, heartache, destruction is there a place where things like this don't exist and if there is i'd rather dwell there than here verse three that's beautiful oh man because we are clothed we will not be found naked for while we are in this tent we groan we are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal that's our bodies may be swallowed up by life. That's the eternal part of you that God has created and put inside of you, this eternal soul, this eternal spirit, this part of you that was created in the image and likeness of an eternal God. Verse 5. Now, the one who has fashioned us in this very purpose is God. So again, God created you in this way because he created you in his image. And God is not someone who tuckers out. God is not someone who ends. God is everlasting. And he created parts and aspects of your life to be everlasting. Your body is not one of them. We're all keying in on that. So he says in verse 5, Now the one who has fashioned us in this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. What it's saying here 
is you have a body. And that body is going to wear out. That body is going to fail you. That body is going to die. But there is this spirit that God has placed inside of you. And that thing is from God. That thing is eternal. And that aspect of your being is a deposit from God, guaranteeing that though your body will fail and waste away, there's aspects and there's a part of you that will spend eternity somewhere that exists outside the parameters of the time and the breath that we sense and we feel here on this planet called earth. Verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. What he's saying there is that as long as we're here and we have this body and we we understand this body and we have to cut our fingernails and cut our hair and, and, and wipe things, we understand that while we're doing that, we will never be fully with the Lord because we are in and experiencing life on this planet that is earth. And this earth is not heaven. So if I'm still in this body, then I'm not, it's not that I'm absent and I can't experience anything of God. It's just saying that I'm not fully with him yet because I know I'm still here. Verse 7. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You've heard that verse preached maybe at funerals, maybe at different places. That, that idea that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what we say at funerals. It gives us hope. It gives us promise to know that, hey, they're not in this body. And so that means that their soul is present with God. And so we come to a verse like this. And we come to this at this new year beginning where we're going, okay, I want my life to be different. I want things to be different in 2021. Goodness, we all should be on that same page than they, did, than they were in 2020. And so we come to this place going, man, I want my life to look different. I want my family to be different. I want my finances to be different. I want my education or my job or whatever. I want these things to be different because I've just got this little time on this earth. And so I want to make the most of what I have. So what is the point in this life that I have right here? If this body is wasting and fading away, what's the point in the time that I have in this body here in these moments? I think he answers that question for us in verse 9. Let's look at it together. So, we make it our goal not to get a promotion, not to gain followers on social media, not to be on the right side of history, not to vote for the right person, not to get engaged, not to get a ring, not to get the new car, not to get whatever it may be. We make it our goal in life, our resolution if you will, to go with the season we're in. We make it our goal, our resolution, our purpose, whatever you want to call it. We make it our goal to please Him. That's Jesus. Whether we are at home in this body or away from it. Okay, so we read that. We say, okay, if we have these temporal lives, we, this, this momentary body that we have. And again, what you believe about the afterlife determines how you live your life. If we have this life and it is temporal... And Jesus, in his word, tells us that the purpose of this life is to please God. It is to live a life that, that Jesus looks at and goes, I am pleased with the way you are doing this. You are doing this the way that I would have you do this. I love what you're doing with your life. Then maybe the next question that I think we should ask is, okay, if that's the goal, for this blip on a radar life that you have, whether you're in high school and you feel like you got, man, years and years and years ahead of you, or, or you're, you're, you're 99 
And you're like, man, I don't know how many years I have left. He says, if that is the goal, then my question is, why is that the goal? If the goal of my life is to live a life that pleases God, why is that the goal? He answers that question in verse 10. Why please Christ? We please Christ because, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's why we live a life that pleases him, because there's going to come a time, friends, for all of us, according to God's word, we live a life that pleases Christ, because at some point in our life, when it comes to an end, we're going to sit before a judgment seat that he's going to sit on. And so we live a life to please him, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things we have done in the body, whether good or bad. We live a life to please him, to receive what is due for us for the things that we have done while in the body, whether good or bad. See, that's our goal, and that's why it is our goal. That's why what we're talking about is so important. That's why I want to pray now in these moments to have, wherever you came in today or whether you joined in online, wherever you're at, And this whole idea of what is heaven like? What is the afterlife like? And what are its implications on my life right now in McDonough, Georgia, or wherever I'm joining in online? I want to pray for us that those would become truly more, not of what we expect them to be, but what God has designed it to be. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray for those who are listening to me today. That they would know that they're not just listening to me, but they're listening, hopefully, God, to you. God, I have nothing to say today that is significant, I have your word, though, and your word, under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, is the most significant, life-altering thing that could ever happen to an individual today. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would allow that to happen, that you would melt cold hearts, that you would awaken, you know, people who are just like, yeah, whatever, I'm just showing up to make my parents happy, that you would, um, God, guide us to the truth that's found in your word. And change us in your name. Amen. So today, before we answer that big question of what happens after I die, I want to give you an idea of where we're going for the remainder of the series. So next week, I need you to do me a favor. And really, it's going to be doing yourself a favor. Next week, I need you to bring a Bible to church. I know it sounds weird to say that. Like, I need you to show up to the church service with a Bible. I know, it, I know that's odd, but I, watched, I stood out there and watched everybody come in today, and they were rare. So I need you to bring one of these with you next week because unequivocally, without a shadow of a doubt, we are going to go through more scripture next week than I ever have as your pastor. What we're going to be talking about next week is we are going to be breaking down, going verse by verse through Jesus' words, Jesus' take on eternity in the afterlife. So we're going to go through the Gospels. We're not going to go through every single one because there are some uh, recurring themes in there. But we're going to cover everything that Jesus says about the afterlife in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm telling you, it's not what you think it is. I did it this weekend. I went to Bible college. I've been preaching for years. As I went through the red letters where Jesus talks about eternity and afterlife, the things, the thing I thought would be important, the things I thought he would lean into, actually were not. I was so surprised to see what Jesus talks about and connects Almost every single time he talks about eternity. And so next week, bring your Bible. We're going to be in there. If you feel like you're faster at doing that from a phone or a tab, go that. I mean, you can bring your you know, laptop in here. Just, I don't know, whatever you got to do. Just come prepared to be in God's word like never before. Okay? That's next week. Jesus on the afterlife. The week after that, we're going to talk about how horrible hell is going to be. So that's going to be a real uplifting message. Um, <laughs> 
But we got to go there. I mean, you can't talk about this. And, you know, again, I mean, I, some of us, we go to church our whole entire lives, we've never heard one single message on hell and, like, what it's going to be like. But, if, again, if you go through and you listen to Jesus and you, and you go through the Gospels, like, it's actually in there. And he talks about it. It's a reality. And so we can say, let's just be positive. Or we can say, well, let's just be negative and tell people all about how bad hell is and there's worms crawling out of your eyes and all these other things. Like, I would just prefer we be realistic and let the Bible speak for itself. So we're going to talk about that. And then on week four, we're going to dive into how awesome heaven is going to be. And I can't wait to go through that with you guys. We're going to answer some of those big questions that a lot of people have around heaven. Of, you know, am I going to be married still? And, you know, who's going to be there? Who's not going to be there? You know, am I going to have my dog there? Um, whatever. All those types of things. We're going to dive into that. All right? Sound good? Cool. Be there. Bring somebody with you. This week, let's answer that question. What happens when I die? I think the best verse to go to when we answer that question is in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28. Answering the question, what happens after I die? Hebrews 9, 27, 28. Author Hebrews says this, Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Hold up. Okay, what he's saying here is, hey, I don't know what's going to happen in your life. Don't know who you're going to marry. Don't know where you're going to go to school. Don't know how many kids you're going to have or where they're going to listen to you. What I do know is this. Two things in this life are 100% guaranteed. You will die and you will face judgment. Again, the authors of Scripture, they under, are under the inspiration, I believe, of the Holy Spirit. They could have wrote down anything and everything. When he says, there are two things I guarantee are going to happen to you in this life. The two things that they say is, you're going to die, yeehaw, and you're going to face judgment. Now, guys, I wish, I wish I could read verses like this to you, sitting in a comfy chair in your home, across a table from you, with a warm cup of coffee, and we could unpack these things together. I know that there is a cold and kind of a disconnect, and especially if we're, we're going you know, from TV screen or iPhone screen or whatever, I know there's a disconnect when you read a verse like this, and when you drop news like this on somebody that the Bible verse does, that, hey, the only things that are guaranteed in this life is we're going to die and we're going to face judgment. Like, that's something that you want to be sitting beside somebody and go, okay, how do you feel about that? Where does that land with you? How does that change what you're doing right now? But we see this verse, and it says, that's what's going to happen and then verse 28 says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sins, because he did that the first time when he was here, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So as we look at this verse, especially this last half, there's a couple of things that we've got to realize. First, if he says, you are destined to die and then face judgment, what that means is, when you die, you don't really die. Like, if you die and then you face judgment, well, that's something else that you're facing. Like, death is not the end. And so I brought this back up here because, I mean, you guys maybe remember this when we went through the helmet of salvation and it turned into a, a meme on online. It was, it was hilarious. Um, but we talked about salvation and we talked about the reality that every single individual is what we would call a trichotomy which means that you are not just a body that just has feelings and emotions and aches and pains. That you are a spirit. That's the eternal part that God has placed inside of you. That's you creating the image and likeness of God. That you have a soul. That's your mind. That's your internal operating system. That's what makes you do the things you do, think the things you think. That's, that's some of your worldview. That's your soul. Sometimes in the Bible we call it your heart, you know, but it's, it's your soul. And then you have this body. 
And at any given moment, salvation, if you are putting your faith and your faith and trust in Christ, salvation is happening here in all three of these areas of your spirit, your soul, and your body because it's covering your past, your present, and your future. When we have salvation for our spirit, again, this is the eternal part of us. That's where we receive justification. That's now where we are freed up from the penalty of sin. And that's where we live a life that has been saved. The same point, we have a soul. And that soul exists in the present moment. Right now, every single one of us is existing in the present moment. And we're continuing to go into it. This is where the sanctification process is going. You've received the salvation from Jesus, but you don't wake up in the morning after you fly out of the waters of baptism. You're just like, I'm just saved. And you're walking on water, you're touching and healing folks, you're praying and miracles are happening, you're not thinking bad thoughts, you don't, get a li- you don't even get a little bit angry when your mailbox is stuffed absolutely to the brim with runoff papers. You're just like, come on, Lord, send them. Yes, I need all this information. Thank you, Lord. Like, you're so holy, you don't think one single negative thought about any of those things. That's not the reality we live in. We need sanctification. We need to be like Jesus. And this, this part here is where we're freed up from the power of sin. The where I don't have to live addicted anymore. I don't have to live depressed anymore. I don't have to live envious of other people anymore. And right now, and this is the, the awesome part about this. Our spirit, it has been saved. But in this very moment, maybe you've never realized this. If you were in Christ, your faith in him and you're following him, at this very moment, you are being saved. From there, we have this body. And a lot of times, this is where we get so consumed with everything that's in here. Because we look at magazines, and they tell us our body should look like this. We start New Year's resolutions, and they say, well, your body needs to get better. Well, here's the, the workout you can start doing. And we get so consumed in this body, and we want our body to be experiencing a different future. We want our body to be experiencing a future with more money. We want our body to be experiencing a future with a better sex life. We want our body to be experiencing a future with a different job. We want our body to be experiencing these things. But in the salvation of that body, in heaven, when that body wastes away, then we experience what's called glorification. That's where we get to heaven, and that body is not just a renewed version. Like if you had a crooked toe while you were on earth, you don't get to heaven, and that toe just straightened out. Like you get to heaven, and you get a whole new foot, like a whole new everything. Some of you hate feet like I do, and you're like, yes, thank goodness. Um, This, because we're in heaven, we're freed up from the presence of sin. There's no sin there. And this... Again, because it's the future, this is where we will be saved. See, this is this whole salvation process. And this is critical. But the question is, what side of that are you on? The big question in all of this life here on this planet Earth is, what did you do with Jesus? Did you believe him? Did you trust him? Did you follow after him? Because what he says there is that he's going to bring salvation for those who are waiting on him. See, I believe that those who are going to be waiting on Jesus are those who want Jesus. Those who want Jesus will actually be the ones who are waiting on him because they believe that the things of this world could never satisfy. And so they're waiting with eager anticipation at the arrival of their Savior. And we go from here and we see that we can get so consumed with what's going on in this everyday, in-the-moment life that we forget that we are not just a body that we are a soul and a spirit too. And these two things are actually what live on and go on forever. And so we need to pay attention to those. I think Jesus was trying to warn us and bring us to that reality that we should pay attention to those. And that's why he said what he said in Matthew 10, 28. 
Let's look at it together. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. Do not be afraid of a virus that can kill the body. Do not be afraid of a criminal who can kill the body. Do not be afraid of a political party that can take away all your money so that you're living in a cave somewhere eating off frightened beans. Do not be afraid of things that can just take your body out. You're more than a body. But cannot kill the soul. See, what he's saying here is all those things, yeah, you can be afraid of those. Yeah, they stink. Yeah, they could hurt you. Yeah, they could kill your body. But those things never, ever have had the power to take care and knock out your soul. He says, rather... This is a heavy verse. Happy New Year. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So he says, don't be afraid of what can take out your body. Rather, be afraid of what can take out your body and your soul in hell. Now, who's he talking about there? He's not talking about Satan. Satan is in hell, but he can't, he's not the one who destroys us. He's not the one who does that. See, when he says here, rather be afraid of the one, if you look in most of our Bibles, and I think it is on the screen, the O is what? Capitalized. If you've read, if you've read a Bible a decent amount of time, you know when you see a capital letter on a word like that, that means it's referring to God. Now that messes up with some of us, right? Like you read a verse... And he said, be afraid, oh, let's just change it out to make it sound a little harder, all right? If it wasn't already painful enough, let's read it this way. Rather, be afraid of God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's an eye-opening verse. And I want to walk you through what's actually happening there. See, in this life, I believe almost everything revolves around these three words. Your will be done. It's four, actually. Sorry. I'm not good at math. (laughs) Even simple math. Four words. Your will be done. And see, in this life, you will either, in in the momentary breath that you have here on earth, you will either say to God, your will be done. Here in my life, I'm surrendering to you. I trust in you. I'm going to do finances the way you say to do it. I'm going to do my sexuality the way you say to do it. I'm going to do my identity the way you say you do it. I'm going to vote the way you say to do it. I'm going to have it your way. Your will be done. You either say those four words to God here on this earth, or you will get to heaven. And I believe God will look at us, and he will say to us, your will be done. See, while it says that God is the one who destroys soul and body in hell, God never just seeks, he does not, he's not a God who is wrathful and vengeful and just seeking out and going, you know what I cannot wait to do? Destroy you in hell. That's not our God. We have a God who sent his son to save us from that. And as he sends his son to save us from that, he's looking at us to go, hey, are you going to say my will be done or am I going to have to look at you and go, this breaks my heart. But I can't be a justful, loving God, one who would send his son here. And I cannot be who I am and my identity as a just God and not punish you for sin. But I want you to know, this is not my will. This is your will being done. That's what that verse means. And that's heavy. 
But it leaves us with this choice. Will we choose in the moments in the life that we have here on planet Earth to say to a God, God, your will be done? Because if we don't, there will come a time when we sit before that judgment seat of Christ and, and God looks at us, Jesus looks at us eye to eye and he says, you're going to have it your way now. And it breaks my heart. And so I want to show you what this judgment of our soul looks like. I think the Bible breaks this down and makes it pretty clear, and this is going to be kind of where we land today. I believe there are, there are actually two judgments that happen after we die. The first judgment, I believe, is this judgment that we see in Revelation 20, 11, and 12. It's what's called the Great White Throne Judgment. Sounds intense. Sounds like it could be a Tolkien novel, the Great White Throne Judgment. Like it's intense. It's apocalyptic sounding. But I believe this is a judgment that's going to happen for the soul of every individual. This great white throne judgment. We see it in, in Revelation 20, 11 and 12. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Other books was, another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. Verse 15. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So this lamb, I want you to understand here, this lamb that is talking about, this is Jesus. Jesus, and when we refer to the lamb's book of life, Jesus is referred to as the lamb of God because he was the perfect, spotless, sinless, sacrificial lamb of God. And because he is that, now he sits at the place where he, he actually has the right, the full capability to honorably judge us because he gave his life for us as a perfect sacrifice. And so now the determining factor is, is my name in his book of life? Which I hope at this moment you're asking the question, well, how does my name get in the book? How does it happen? What well, happens through faith. It happens through trust. It happens through putting our faith and our trust in Jesus. And when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, we believe that he is who he says he is. That means that our names are written in that Lamb's book of life. And so this week, if you know that you've put your faith and your trust and your hope in Jesus, every time you open an email with your name at the top, every time you sign your name on a check, every time you put it on a text message or an email or you write it on a piece of paper, understand that that name to the letter is written in the Lamb's book of life, that Trenton, Douglas, Shoemaker is in there. And that your name, hopefully, is there as well. And there is nothing, friend. There is nothing that can take it out of there. Every sin that you commit, God's not up there. Oh, well, I'm taking that E off the last part of that name, buddy. He doesn't do that. It's in there and it's in there. But he says for those of us who do not have our names in there, it's a grim and a bleak reality. Verse 15, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. I unpack that. I don't have time to do that today. We'll unpack that fully or the best that I can. Week three. But he says there's going to come this judgment moment. Now, different scholars go back and forth on this great white throne judgment, and they say the great white throne judgment is something that is only for non-believers. They say that the great white throne judgment is for non-believers because it's where they get judged for the reality that they did never put the faith in Christ to have their name written in that Lamb's Book of Life. And I can tend to agree with that because, I mean, imagine... If you are going to spend an eternity in heaven with Christ, and this is a checkpoint on you getting all the way there, and you're watching people get tossed into this lake of fire, 
If heaven is a place where there's no weeping, there's no sadness, there's no mourning, there's no pain, like, I feel like that would break my heart. To see this happening. To see people show up and, and, and they go, name, Bartholomew, Davidson. Nope. Like, I don't want to be there. And watch what happens. And so I can tend to agree and get on that same page that this great white throne judgment is something that is for a non-believer. But I guarantee it's going to happen. It's going to be there. The next judgment that we see is one that I actually do, is, do believe is for believers. And it's what we see happening right there at the, the tail end of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. See, while I believe there is a judgment for non-believers, I also believe there is a judgment for people who are in Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5.10 is one of the places, there's a lot of places that you can go through Scripture, and it, and it makes very clear that, that God will hold us accountable for what we did, and you will be rewarded based off of what you did. Now, hear me. It's not talking there, in my opinion, about whether or not you put your faith in Christ. You don't do your way into a relationship with Jesus. You don't do your way into salvation. You believe your way into salvation. But I believe according to this verse, let's look at it together, 5.10, there are things that we will be judged and rewarded for based off of how we live this life after having received the free gift of salvation. Look at verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This word, they write at the beginning of this, judgment seat. It's this word in the Greek, bema. And this word bema was a word that was used in the Olympics. It was used to be defining the seat that the judge in the Olympics would give as to whether or not you were successful about winning the race or doing the competition that you had already qualified to do. So this bema judgment seat is not determining whether or not you made it into the race. It's determining how well you finished it. What you did while you were running it. And see, what I need you to understand, and hopefully you get, is that this is your reward for how you ran the race that God's grace and your faith qualified you for. It is not what you do, how you live, where you do these things, where you tithe, the way you serve, the way you all. Those aren't the things that I believe earn us the reward that God is saying is on the table for us. But as God qualifies us for this race through his grace and mercy and love, now we're at a place where in this ever-present, in-the-moment sanctification process, we can now begin to live lives that store up riches in heaven. That when we sit before this Bema judgment seat of Christ, he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You took what I had given you and you lived the life that I had destined for you to live. You gave when it hurt. You stayed faithful when it had been easy to turn in. You chose the hard right over the easy wrong. You lived a life not as a disciple sitter, in church, but as a disciple maker in the streets. You got it. And because you got it, here are even an extra portion of what you have now been given 
because you took the grace that was given to you and you lived a life like you had actually fully received it. And see, you know, you can talk about rewards in heaven and people kind of clench up and they go, whew, okay, so like I need to get my crap together. Um, and not say crap from a pulpit. Um, and I, I want to, because I want, man, like I want to have a, like if there's a, if there's a mansion in heaven with a basketball court and a baseball field in it, like I want that one. If there's a one with a trout pond in it, like I want that one. Like I want those rewards. I want those nice things. But if that's where our mind goes, tell me, like I'm telling you, friends, you're mixed up. See, we don't, when we, when we, when we come to that reality and we grasp that there's going to be this judgment for those of us who are in Christ based off of what we did with the life that was in Christ here on earth. When we come to that place, we don't go, oh, mm, now i got to get my junk together and i got to work because I want to have a lot of great rewards when I get to heaven. No, 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 no. If you're looking at the rewards that are in heaven, you're missing out on the reward that he has given you on earth right now and the reality that Jesus, God, and the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they've come to make a home with you. That's why Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer, God, your kingdom come on earth right now as it is in heaven. That's that. That's understanding the reward that you've already been given by his grace and going, my God, I could have never, ever deserved this. I, I, there's nothing I could have ever done. How in the world, God, could you have given this to someone so wretched and so sinful as me? How could I not, God, give out? How could I not stand up for the marginalized? How could I not go serve in children's ministry? How could I not give to the mission of what God is doing here? How could I not love my wife and be faithful to her? How could I not be disgusted by the sin that so eagerly, easily entangles me? How could I not do any of these things anymore? God, I'm going to run this race like I never have before because now I see the reward that is here now in your grace and mercy in this moment and guys that's 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 the life that he's calling us to live and i i pray that we run this race knowing that that's the reward that you have in store because i want him to look at us i want him to look at mcc and the people who show up in heaven from us from from our family and go hey i saw you I saw you show up consistently down there in children's ministry where kids were pulling your hair out and you were changing diaper after diaper after diaper and you're wondering, where are these parents feeding these children? Man, this is terrible. <laughs> and God looks at you and goes, listen, so many of those children are here because of you. When he looks at you and goes, hey, I know that there were times when you gave money and you didn't know if you would have enough money to make ends meet at the end of the month. I want you to know that there are people here because of you. Hey, I, I saw how you didn't compromise your purity as you saw everybody around you doing it. And you waited on me to provide that relationship for you. And I want you to know that she's here because you did that. See, guys, what you believe about the afterlife, it determines how you live your life. And my hope and my prayer is you walk out of here different. You walk out of here not trying to get a better bank statement, not trying to get a raise, not trying to have these things solved, but you walk out of here with an eternal mindset on all of those things. And you live your life having fully received the war reward of God's grace and mercy, and then you go and live it out. My, my question maybe this morning and I want to end um, my part of the message today by just praying over you guys and praying over people online. Um, confession time. I got to admit, um, 
in this life, it has been easy to allow the roots of my life to go down into this world and not to reach up to the things of heaven. If you're here today, and maybe you need to recalibrate. Maybe you'd be willing to say that, that your life has been so consumed with what's happening in this body and happening in this earth that you have sometimes even forgot or dismissed the reality that there is an afterlife and you want to become more heavenly minded. I would invite you, if you're online, to say, that's me. If you're here in person, to raise a hand to say, I desire, at the beginning of 2020, I'm desiring to become a more heavenly minded follower of Christ. Would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you tonight, today in this moment? Jesus, you see the hands of these people, God, who, who are longing to recalibrate, who are longing to go, I need to get my eyes off the things of this world, the things around me, and I need to build my life upon you, your love, the reward that you have given me by your grace and mercy. And Jesus, I pray that they feel you pulling them up from the roots of the things of this world and binding them into the vine that is you, the true place that bears fruit, the true place that stores up riches in heaven. Meet them, Jesus, right where they are. In your name, amen.